Hello, this is Jason Mann with the European Baptist Missionary and Friends podcast. Keep your eyes on him. As he said to Peter, you know, you'll get a hundredfold in this life and life to come. And I think we left family, but we have more people that were like family to us than we would have ever had if we'd not gone to the mission field. This podcast is an opportunity to spend time with missionaries serving the Lord in Europe, as well as pastors here in the States and what God is doing in their lives. Today we're spending time with Travis Snow, the director of Vision Baptist Missions. It's always an encouragement to speak with him and be around him. I was actually able to visit him on the field in 2014 to watch him uh, be used of God in planting churches in Europe. So my name is Travis Snowd. Um, I'm the general director for Vision Baptist Missions Incorporated in Dawsonville, Georgia, and been serving this capacity uh, since August of 2022. Um, before that, we were uh, missionaries, church planning missionaries um, in Northern Ireland for nine years and then in England for nine years. Yeah. So 18 years in missions? Yes. Uh, on the field missions? Very good. That's right. Mm-hmm. Very good. And so you basically raised your children on the mission field? That's right. Yep. All of our kids were born uh, born there in Northern Ireland. So they're blessed to have dual citizenship and, you know, spent more of their life overseas on the field than in America. So we're, we're learning reverse cultural adaptation. That's very good. How is that going? Pretty well. Yeah, it's, it's going pretty well. There's definitely probably not a day passes that we aren't amazed by some aspect of American culture. There's some humongous truck that, you know, someone drives or uh, some other aspect. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably most of the time it's just funny. Sometimes it's downright frustrating, but <laughs> it's funny. Uh, when we were in Hungary, I saw a uh, Freightliner big rig going down the road, like an American style, and uh, that was very odd to see. And yeah. then there was there was a uh, Dodge twenty five hundred that was lifted with a lift kit and all that there in the town that we lived in, Hungary. And you could hear it coming from miles away. You know exactly what it was. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, you know, people would be like, "Why do you have that gas guzzling big truck?" Right, because it's awesome. <laughs> what other reason? Yeah, yeah, pretty funny, pretty funny. And so, tell us a little bit about your church planning experiences. You, I'm assuming the England church has successfully transitioned to a local pastor. Yes, yeah. okay. um, tell us a little tra- bit about the tra- two transitions. Okay, yeah, so, um, in 20. 20- 12 my family and i went on furlough we had we had been in northern ireland since 2004 we'd started church there we had a a a guy serving with us as in like kind of a short-term missionary sam quinn he um was leading the church while we were on furlough but during that time there was another irish um 
man named James Wilson who was serving in the church. And it became apparent that, you know, God's hand was on him and he had the gifts of pastor. So we recognized that it it would be time for us to begin moving to plant another church and that that church could be pastored by uh, Brother James. So we began praying about where we would go, whether it was somewhere else in Northern Ireland. Um, but we had traveled a few times through London and we had developed a burden for London. And we also sensed, you know, an, uh, an openness there uh, that was exciting, uh, in a sense, kind of an open door. Uh, so we felt led of the Lord then to to move to London. And there were various things that we felt God prepared us for that. One of being which we were in Northern Ireland. Originally, we planned to go to the Republic of Ireland, but Northern Ireland is underneath or, you know, part of the United Kingdom. So we had, you know, British visas and British driver's license, and there was quite a bit of British influence in that part. So, um, so God had kind of prepared us uh, for that. We felt, and then we moved to London and at the end of that furlough, after you know a time of wrapping things up that was a hard transition but um you know god worked through it church in northern ireland has now been pastored by brother james he's on his 10th year there um leading that church and the lord's really blessed it's a a hard and difficult field but um, god's been really faithful there and then we started two churches in um England one was in southeast London Downham Baptist Church and that the pastor there is Ricardo Hippolito he's Filipino background um but has pretty much grown up in England and the Lord's using him there um and then the third church we started just a couple years ago is being led by Sam Quinn who was with us in Northern Ireland and helped with the church there he and his family are back now as full-time church planners and he's he's leading that church there. So so two of them are, in a sense, pretty much indigenous. Uh, the third one is still more like a mission church, and you know has a ways to go there. So, well, Amen. I, I didn't realize you had the third church going there. I, I knew Sam Quinn was there, but I didn't know that he was working with you there. Well, praise the Lord for that. Mm. Praise the Lord. Uh, I visited, I think, in 2014 when you were just getting started there. Okay, yeah, in London. And yeah, I remember your kids sounded British. So okay, so had British kids with American adult parents. And, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> uh, I heard your son speaking a few days ago down in PCC. He's still British, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a little bit. So that's kind of funny. But uh, uh, praise the Lord for that. What I, I remember, you wrote a blog about how to find a church building when you were looking there in London. I don't know okay. if you remember, remember that, but yeah. And any tips that you can give to other missionaries that looking for a place and some, maybe some highlights of, you know, do's and don'ts. Yeah. Um, I, I think if I remember the, the article, uh, I'm not sure the, I, I know at one point I did a series on, you know, where to plant a church. Um, but I, I think, you know, I guess um, in Europe, you have kind of, in some of the countries, you have some history of religion or even of, you know, 
some, you know, some type of Christian church. Um, it's a little more layered than I'm going to a completely Muslim country or pretty much predominantly Catholic country. So you're trying to kind of sift through those layers. Um, the UK is definitely like that. So I wanted to be aware of what was happening. And even if there was a church that maybe didn't agree completely with the doctrines of the church, we were going to plant, they were at least preaching the gospel. You know, I'm, I might have thought, well, you know, let's pick an area where there's like literally nothing happening. So spent quite a bit of time doing that. I guess I would say, um, number one, you want to look for a place that has a need, which for some people that's going to be super, essentially there's a need everywhere, but where's the greatest need? Um, very likely that's going to be some place with a lot of people, probably a city, um, that tends to be, I, I'm not really a city person, but I went to, you know, big city, London, you know, 10 to 13 million people, because that's where the people were. And as a missionary, you're called to reach people. So I'd say, look for a need, evaluate, you know, areas of greatest need first. Secondly, I would encourage you to look for somewhere that there might be an open door uh, in the sense of, is there somebody in that area that is looking for a church? Is there some contact you have? Is there some segment of that area that has um, that it that might facilitate getting a church going? Um, meaning it could be, I would say, an area with maybe younger people, an area potentially where people are more uprooted from their family culture tradition and again said cities tend to tick a lot of these boxes or check a lot of these boxes because people tend to go to cities that are not in, you know a small town they're around grandma grandpa harder for them to break out so th this is all just be my recommendations i do think you see in the book of acts with paul he's going to cities and also with the synagogues that was like an open door for him so i think there's some biblical precedent there from missionary standpoint um, one of the challenges with cities are so expensive, you know, and so you, if you want to plant an indigenous church, you don't want to go to the poorest people because they're probably not going to be able to support their own church, but you probably don't want to go to the richest people because it tends to be that the richest are harder to reach. So you're looking for kind of a working middle working class. class, yeah, lower middle class area. Um, so there'll just be a few things that I would, you know, say to, to, to consider. In your London church, what were the different nationalities represented? Um, yeah, so we had we had a, probably about the, the the community was like a third white British working class, a third um, um, black, uh, whether Caribbean, African. And then a third Asian. Um, so we, um, our church was was quite multicultural. We had uh, Nigerians, we had Ghanaians, we had Zambians, we had Jamaicans, we had Grecians, we had Greeks. I think might be a better way to put it. Uh, we had Indians. 
Uh, we had guy from Kentucky. So it was very, very, we had Filipino. Um, and we even had some British people in there, you know? So it was like, just a very <laughs> white British people, I should say. Uh, very multicultural. What were some strategies for outreach that worked and didn't work? Yeah, so most strategies that we experienced, they almost all worked a little bit. And none of them worked like super well. So there was no magic bullet that just like, you know, and, and you have to define also what worked, you know, because sometimes we would do outreach and people would say, um, well, we did, you know, we did outreach, but nobody got saved. I'm like, well, first of all, we go because we're obedient, you know, we're not going. Sure. Uh, but we, we probably our biggest way people found us in London was online and through um, what we call just leafleting, just basically America could be tagging doors. But there you can pick a flyer through their mail slot. In the border. That was probably the two biggest. Um, we had a pretty good location as well. We, we were able to get a building in London that was kind of uh, had been closed and got opened some doors for us to reopen it. So just that physical location, people saw it. So the probably those three things. Um, in Northern Ireland, it was all, almost always relational. You know, somebody knew somebody, invited somebody. That was, it was very hard to get people through the doors. Really didn't matter what we did. <laughs> so unless God was already really working on them, they were searching or somebody, a family or friend invited them. That was the probably the best way. I was talking with a friend uh, this week, Missionary Europe. And before church, the church building is located in a, like a courtyard, you know, like a common yeah. community courtyard with shops yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So they have one of the shop buildings and the security guard came in and started drinking some coffee and he's on duty and somebody called him. So he put his coffee down and left. Well, then church started. So he came back for his coffee during church and then just stayed. And then right before it was over, he got up and left to keep doing his job. So it's kind of wow. like whatever it takes, you know. Yeah, coffee, coffee yeah. Will be here next week too. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I think he like accidentally heard the gospel. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the Lord, you know, the Bible says the Lord. Uh, Jesus said, "I will build my church." You know, and so I think that He keeps us always a little bit off balance, where the thing we think is going to work doesn't, and then, but if we're faithful, He'll do something, you know, unconventional, just so we remember it's him and not us. How about loneliness? How do you deal with loneliness on the field? Yeah, um, we went through several periods where, especially in the very early days before we had many people coming to the church, both in Northern Ireland and in England of loneliness. Um, I think, you know, Usually you can find, you know, you can try to find another uh, missionary or national pastor who's serving. And even if you don't agree on everything doctrinally, you can still be friends uh, if they're your brother or sister in Christ. If they're not saved. Obviously, there's a danger there because, you know, they can influence you and you can start thinking, well, this 
doctrinal issues not as important or whatever. So I think you have to, but we develop good friendships. We, it's kind of, it can be a little natural because when you go to an area, I think you should get to know anybody you can in the area of any, you know, evangelical, just to, you know, go visit the, go visit the non-denominational church, go visit the, 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 the charismatic church. Not that you're going to fellowship with them, but you're just seeing like, are they preaching the gospel? So I think that's kind of entry level. Um, I think you can get very close as a, you know, as your own family. So I think most missionary families are really quite tight knit because they have to spend a lot of time with each other. And you can get to the point where you almost, you know, one of the things I find difficult about America is we're constantly having a lot of other people, even our you know, our kind of, you know, immediate family, but we don't get as much time with just our family. So I think if you can focus on, well, we have a lot of time just together, just us. Um, but there's a lot of ways too. You can, you can call people in other mission fields, you know, there's just a lot of ways, FaceTime, Zoom calls. So I think he that friends must show himself friendly. If you reach out a little bit, you can, you know, you've got this zoom call there's there ends up sometimes being more opportunities than you can uh, take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Ultimately you hope you can build friends of the local people, you know, and you can begin, you know, spending time with them and, and eventually, you know, they can become some of your best friends. And that that's probably one of the hardest things about anytime we ever moved was just leaving those people that, that you love. So I think that God has a way of if you're faithful and you, you know, keep your eyes on him, as he said to Peter, you know, you'll get a hundredfold in this life and life to come. And I think we left family, but we have more people that were like family to us than we would have ever had if we'd not gone to the mission field. Do you have anything from scripture to be an encouragement with? Yeah. Um, There was a passage scripture that I was reading a few weeks ago. Psalm 149 is the is the chapter. Um, I think the it it seems to be a little bit prophetic this chapter because it's looking at the saints of God, um, basically rejoicing in God, praising God, but also they are. They have a verse six of that psalm says they have a two-edged sword in their hand. So praise of God in their mouth, two-edged sword in their hand. Um, and they're putting kings in chains, nobles with fetters. So, you know, if you view this literally, then you know, the saints of God are putting kings in chains and binding nobles with fetters of iron. So you think when are the saints going to do that? Very likely this is looking to um you know, the period leading up to the millennial reign of Christ, uh, the end of the tribulation when Christ returns. Um, but I think those two things here are essentially there are ways of praising God. Um, and so um, praise the Lord in the first three verses, you see like this uninhibited worship. You see them singing you see them rejoicing, you see them uh, dancing, you see them using timbrel and harp. And so I think one of the things that, you know, as missionaries, any Christian, but I think my challenge to the missionaries would be really worship God. 
really get into it. Um, I've never been a huge fan of of music and singing, but um, I've learned, you know, that if I'm going to really praise God the way I ought to, I've got to, um, I got to be someone who who enjoys singing, enjoys worshiping God and entering into that with my whole, whole heart. I think you can be so busy in the ministry that you never step back and just, just enjoy it, you know, and just um, really enjoy God. So that would be my first thing I would say from the passages, really worship God, you know, and don't turn church into just something you do, turn it into someone that you enjoy, you know, you're worshiping Lord Jesus Christ, even if there's only you and your family, you know, love it, um, enter into it. But then the other part of it, verse six talks about a two-edged sword in their hand. I don't think we need to physically right now be picking up swords and going out and (laughs) dealing with our enemies in that way. But we know there's a spiritual application of that. We are in a war and we go and we praise God, but we also pick up our sword, which is the word of God. And it's going to get heavy. It's going to get tiresome. It's going to get at times ugly. It's going to get at times, you know, very challenging. But we praise God by picking up our sword every single day and doing what God tells us to do in his word, whether we feel like it or not. Um, I don't know how long to go, but I'll, I'll get, I have one other point. Uh, I don't have a poem, but I do have three points, but the, <laughs> so we praise God through uninhibited worship. We praise God through righteous war. And then we praise God because of the why. And in this Psalm verse four is kind of the, the reason. And it says for, for why would we have all this uninhibited worship for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. And I found that that statement, the Lord takes pleasure in his people, amazing. I take pleasure in God, but for me to think that God takes pleasure in me as a child of God is just mind-boggling. And that he would want to beautify those who are meek with salvation. Again, it's just it's just incredible. You know, so why would we praise Mother Whole Heart? Why would we keep picking up our sword and going into battle. Well, for no other reason than the fact that he, he loves us. He loves us to bits. Yeah. He he takes pleasure yeah. in us and he's got a plan to beautify us. Um, so that is the reason it, it's not necessarily because we're always have the results we want or because we always have the approval of people that we want, mm-hmm. but just the fact that he takes pleasure in us. We, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That is enough reason to just keep on going day after day, serving him. And if the results come, great. I know in my my ministry, sometimes my most discontented times were when a whole lot of good things were happening because I was putting, I was looking to the results for my happiness. But when there wasn't much happening, all I had was God. And I found that that was... God was all I needed. Yeah. And I had plenty of joy in him and his word. So um, hopefully that's of some help, you know, to uh, t- today. Amen. Yeah, that really fits with um, 
the loneliness and discouragement and uh, just, you know, you, you don't start three churches by not going out every day doing something, you know? Yeah. Push, you know, my, my daughter's trying to start a little online business and I told her you have a big rock and every day you got to push on that rock and eventually yeah. you'll get it rolling. Yeah. You can't stop pushing. Every right. day push a little do more. Something. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's exactly what you were saying. Just every day, just keep yeah. serving the Lord. Yeah. And, uh, I know that this, this deputation, I always get that same question. When are you going to the field? When are you going to the field? Yeah. Well, today I'm going to do this and tomorrow um, I'm going to do yeah. that. Yep. Eventually it'd be time to go to the field. So yeah. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I learned preachers don't like that answer. So I, <laughs> I came up with a date to go with it, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, uh, just serving God day by day is it's very encouraging. Definitely. Very encouraging. Uh, how about someone just starting in missions? What what would you suggest to to get to? Um, did you say eighteen years in in missions on the field? So so beyond day by day, how would you encourage someone to get to that eighteen year mark? Or is it only day by day? Well, I think um, I think there there are things that help me. Um, I, you know, I think I was encouraged early on to develop, you know, the discipline of spending time with God every day uh, in the Bible, uh, reading, um, and 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 talking to God. Um, that's developed for me over the years where. You know, probably in the early days, it was quite legalistic. <clears throat> um, some of my motivations where I felt like if I did this, then God would do certain things for me. Um, so it was probably more of a user. You know, if I do this for God, I'll do this for me. But but, um, but that helped me because it, it kept correcting me. I think if you think our lives are kind of like a, a car with a bad alignment problem, we always drift towards the ditch. And the word of God just just pulls us back every every time we get into it. So I think I think that that helped me, and I think that would help anybody. Uh, that's like the foundation. I think um, having the right influences, you know, if there are people that are a constant discouragement. You don't have to be rude to them, but you also got to limit how much of a voice. You know, now that's not that I'm not saying, you know, if somebody speaks the truth and loved you, that's not them discouraging you. But mm-hmm. but, you know, there's certain people that aren't trying anything, aren't doing anything, but want to tell you everything you're doing that won't work and is wrong. And, you know, that that is it. There's enough discouragements out there without you allowing those voices. So I think being around positive people, being around people who, you know, maybe more gifted than you or more zealous than you. Cause you know, if you're wanting to prove your soccer skills, you don't play with people that are worse than you play with people that are better than you. So, and that, and that's hard because your insecurities creep in and you start comparing yourself and you're like, I don't like the way this makes me feel or look, but so I would think, I think that's important. Um, and um, I think having, you know, having a, a good, it probably feeds into it, but I'll definitely give credit to my wife for her dedication, my kids, 
Um, my church, you know, don't underestimate, you know, you, you, we need people helping us. We need, you know, allow people to come visit you, allow people to speak into your life, ask questions, read books, you know, um, make time for that type of thing because we, we, the mind is where the battle's at and it's a battle for truth. And so if you're not opening your heart for people to speak into it, you're alone with your thoughts. You're alone with your insecurities, and yes, that's usually not a very good place to be. Right. So, um, so those would just be a few thoughts. I, um, I would also say, don't underestimate the importance of a good support. Um, what you know, kind of alluded to, like the spiritual encouragement, but also even just build a prayer support team, build a financial support team. You know, these things. Um, are, are important for long-term ministry. You can go heavily under-supported and last for a, a period, but if you want to stay long-term, right. you know, as things get more expensive, you've got to continually be looking to the Lord and, and as you have opportunity, allow others to be aware of what your needs are and, and you know, uh, be okay with, you know, um, developing that support network. So. Yeah. Asking for help. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Without, without begging, but letting, right. yes, we're asking, but it's not for us. It's for this mission, you know? Right. And so right. not being good. ashamed of that. Yeah. That's good. What keeps you busy throughout your day? What are you working on? Um, sorry. I'll, uh, so someone come to the door, I'll let them know be done. Uh, but um, I spend most of my day um, um, split between kind of overseeing the operational side of things here at the mission, whether it's the budgeting, the property, um, various meetings, and then just trying to serve our missionaries and answer questions um, that they have solving problems is probably a lot of what I do. So we have people trying to get into creative access countries. How do we come up with a solution for them to get their money? And how do, how did, um, uh, you know, helping them figure out their budgets. Um, and so mostly I exist to, to serve, serve this. We have students that are training for missions. So I serve them, help oversee that, pro that program. And then also helping our missionaries, um, and, uh, that keeps me pretty, pretty busy. We have a hundred missionaries and we have about 15 students. Um, so and we don't have a ton of staff, so it's, I might be the general director, but I, I'll probably be, uh, putting some, uh, silicone on our, on a bathtub later today. So <laughs> do that's, a lot good. that's good. That's good. How many missionaries are currently through vision? Um, yeah, so we have a hundred right now. Um, and most of those are on the field now, which is great. That's so it's good. Well, uh, a lot of the vision friends are my friends, so I really appreciate the work being done there. And uh, definitely thank you for your time. Uh, do you have a minute for two more questions? That's fine. Uh, uh, first question is, what do you think is hindering young men from going into the ministry? Um, I would think it's a combination of 
the world, the flesh, and the devil. <laughs> the world has a pull, you know, money, career, um, this type of thing. The flesh, in the sense of wanting what the world offers. I think also shame and guilt and insecurity over, you know, whether it's not feeling adequate. And then I think it's the devil, you know, lying to them that this is, that this is, you know, not worth it or they can't do it. You know, they're a failure. Um, I think that's the kind of age old obstacles that, that they face. Um, and most, you know, it's pretty much all a lie. The world's not going to satisfy. You don't have to be perfect to, to serve. And, um, it's, it's definitely worth it, you know? So I think that'll be some of the reasons. Uh, how about two books that you can recommend to us? I, I think I would recommend when it comes to missions, I'd recommend the master plan of evangelism by Robert Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, based on the example of the Lord Jesus about how he went about evangelizing the world through training the disciples. And then I think the other book I'd recommend would be um, the tale of three Kings about mm-hmm. brokenness. Cause I think that it's um, David Solomon and, and um, Saul, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that is a big part of it is recognizing that God works through our brokenness mm-hmm. and uses it, you know, uh, so I th- I th- those would be probably top made a big, if I had to, if I could get a bonus third, it'd probably be the big impact was uh, um, shadow of the almighty uh, about Jim Elliott's uh, journals that made a huge impact on my life as a young man. I haven't read that one. Let's check that one out. Yeah, that's quite a good, I think that's the one that, that uh, is his journals. So it was really good. Very good. Well, thank you for your time. I definitely appreciate it. Do you mind closing up there? No problem. No problem. God in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity just to share a little bit um, with Brother Jason and others who may uh, watch this. I pray that uh, you will encourage them wherever they're at, whatever they're doing. Lord, I, I thank you for your faithfulness to me. Lord, I certainly cannot glory in anything that I have done. Um, you've done it all on the cross, and you just simply have give grace and I pray you'll continue to give grace and I pray you'll continue Lord to um, work. And I pray you would raise up many more labors to go around the world, the gospel. I pray for particularly for Europe. Lord is a great need there. Uh, Such a great dearth of good, solid Bible believing gospel preaching churches. And I pray you would um, help all my brothers who are serving you wherever they're at, that you would, encourage them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Travis, for your time and encouragement uh, to follow God's will day by day by day. Uh, Links for those books are in the show notes, and I do appreciate those recommendations and even including the bonus one. I'm looking forward to reading that and adding it to my library. God bless.